Good morning, family. Good morning, friends. I don't know about you, but this has been such an encouraging time with me in my own walk with Christ over the past couple of weeks because this series that we're in, this responsive series, walking through Romans 12, is response to the most exciting thing that has ever happened. And it means so much as we continue and as we reflect on what we're looking at this morning as we're looking at Romans 12, the last eight verses, it becomes more impactful and it sinks deeper into our hearts as we continue to revisit again and again Romans 1 through 11. If this is your first Sunday with us during this series, what we've done is we've found in Romans 12 three themes, three key values that we felt we really need to sink our teeth into. And so we talked about hospitality, we talked about generosity, and then this week uh, we're wrapping things up with a talk about peace. Um, and what my hope is for this morning is that we are going to be able to sit in the text. I hope that we're not going... Like, I want us to sit there for a bit, or, or even let it carry us, so to speak. I'm hoping that we will let it carry us to wherever God would have us be this morning. That's my hope. And that as I've studied this past week, as I've been reading and, and rereading and rereading and then questioning and going again, what I've found is there's been a couple of themes that have resonated with me. There have been a couple of things that as I looked at the text, I thought this really I see as a very powerful theme for me. And so what I hope is that as we read the passage and we reread it, and we reread it. I will share with you what, I, what has been on my heart, what I've been feeling convicted on. But my hope is for you is that you may resonate with some of the things I say, but it would be a win for me if you walked out of here and you resonated with something that was completely different. Because my hope is not that I am talking. My hope is that the Spirit is talking. And my hope is that the body is listening. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we enter into a time of teaching, that God, that you would, through the exciting and powerful description of your grace for us through Romans 1 through 11, would speak to us in powerful ways and that we would be eagerly looking to respond to you. That God, that we would be as a body, as a mass, as a forest view church, that we would resonate with your word, we'd be transformed by it, and that this morning we would be able to walk powerfully out of these doors, having lifted in our hearts something that resonated with us. That Lord, your spirit would take these hearts that are here and resonate stuff in them. That we would draw close to you this morning, and that together we would step deeper into the goodness of God pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, when I was just a wee little kid, you know, I know that you look at me and you think that I'm very wise and old in my age, uh, but there was a time when I was younger. I was a young kid. I was a preteen, and this was a particularly odd day for me because I came home from school, regular so far, I open my front door, and I see immediately into the room to the left of our entrance two unopened, brand-new Nintendo GameCubes. Now, in case you don't know what a GameCube is, a video game system, which was very popular and something that I deeply desired in my life. <laughs> and it gets better. This was just a couple of weeks before Christmas. So 
you'd think that this would be reason to celebrate. This is a preteen. I'm coming home, two unopened GameCubes. Oh my goodness, my mom forgot to hide it. Hallelujah. That was not the case. See, I may be older now, but I wasn't completely clueless back then. There were two big things that led me to know that these GameCubes were not for me. One, my mom is a crafty person. She's not the kind of person to just sort of leave a gift that was there, that was supposed to be open on Christmas Day, out there in the open. She's, she's a smart person. I know that she wouldn't have let that happen. See, in my home, the rules were no video games for Christmas. I know, right? No video games for Christmas. And I don't, I don't know, the rule, the rule stands even to this day that you don't get a video game accessories, you don't get video games, you don't get the console, you don't get any of that for Christmas. Because Christmas is supposedly about socks and clothes and these great things. <laughs> so this... I knew that they couldn't be for me. But here's the burner. It got worse. Because I knew that my parents, they developed this tactic. What they did is my mom would team up with my aunt, Right? You know, we grew up in the Durham region. I lived, I lived in Ajax, and uh, my aunt and my uncle, they lived in, in, in Whitby, which is, if you don't know the area, they're right beside each other, very close. And so we lived like maybe 5, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes from each other. Um, and my parents, they would do the swap. They would do the swap. So all the gifts that were supposed to be for me and my two sisters would be at, you know, my aunt's house, and all the gifts that were supposed to be for my cousins would be at our house. And this was before the days where everyone instanced did, did everything, you know? Like, it's not like there was just pictures to be taken and sent off to be, uh, here's your gift, what's my gift? You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't that time. It was just, that's where we lived. So the burner for me was that these two gifts, not only are they not for me, they're for my cousins. Persecution. <laughs> I, had to, I had to justify things. So I've, I found my mom later on the day. You know, she uh, was a principal. She's actually, uh, she just finished being a principal for like 25 years. So she's a principal for a long time. Um, so she comes home from school, from her job, and I demand of her, I say, this is not fair. This is not fair. You know, I have been wanting a video game system in my life for so long. This is something I value. This is something I would play. This is something I would get so many hours of, of fun out of. And my cousins, my two baby children, barely infant cousins, they get the systems and not only one to share. Each. They got one each. This is persecution at its height. You know, uh, I remember my mom looked back at me and she said, you know, this is just what we're doing this year. She didn't give much of an explanation. She didn't explain to me sort of what the next steps or what the larger picture of anything might be. She just said to me, this is just what we're doing this year. You know, and, and, and me, you know, being the, you know, the young preteen that I was, you know, it wasn't enough. I was unwilling to move. I had been faced with the short end of the straw. 
and I felt cheated, and I wasn't willing to hear anything else. And, 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 and when I look upon that story, as I reflect upon that story, I think to myself, you know, that's just the story of a kid who was found in a situation, who maybe had a little bit of, you know, just an odd thing happen to them. Like, but they don't know the bigger picture. They don't know maybe all the things that are happening between mom and dad. Maybe there's a GameCube at their house coming to me. Who knows? You know, all this stuff is in the air, and I'm only willing to see what affects me. And I wonder, are we really that different? When we are faced with situations where on the surface they seem unfair to us. And on the surface, when they seem, when they seem like we have been short-strawed, like we have gotten the worst end of the bargain, whether in workplaces, in our families, at schools, or wherever else we find ourselves, when we are given what seems to be the worst end, do we respond with love and blessing? Or do we immediately think to ourselves, this is not fair. It seems to me that there is a powerful trend today that exists about fairness that we crave fairness, we desire fairness, and all that it is. And you know what I really think it is? I think that we as humans, we naturally want to put ourselves first, right? Like we, I think our natural inclination as human beings, survival of the fittest, we want to have our stance first. And the only way we can survive as a society is if we just refuse to budge on fairness. And I think that when we have exalted it to the status that it's at, it becomes corrosive. I'm not saying that fairness is bad. I think fairness is good generally. But I think that when you treat it the way that we do, we've exalted it so high that we end up hurting ourselves. And when we approach the word today, I think Paul outlines a different way that we should respond. Let's read the first part of this passage this morning together. It'll be on the screen behind me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And, the, and this isn't just found here. You know, we find it in the words of Jesus when, in the Gospels. In you know, the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Uh, in the book of James, we read, you, know, you should rejoice when we receive you know, curses because it is the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. This must be a central theme to the Christian message gotta be, right? Like it repeats itself over and over. When we are faced with injustice, Scripture repeats time and time again, bless and rejoice. Bless and rejoice. And that's not what the world's like. Like we find ourselves in a world where when we are short-strawed, we jump for our shot to make it even again. 
You know, when, when we have been in spots in lives where we feel like, I didn't get what I deserve, but so-and-so didn't even do this thing, and they get the credit for it. I mean, who here has been in school and has had a partner in a project who didn't do anything, and then they got the good grade? I saw someone... <laughs> we, are, we are eager to jump when it's for us. But I think that Scripture paints a completely different picture. And as I continue to read over this passage, as I continue just to look at it and try and think to myself, what is resonating for me on this? Here's something that I found. Look at the words that Paul is writing in here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but in thought to do honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Listen, bless, rejoice, weep, live, associate, give, live peaceably. These words are calls to action. They are not passive. Because I think when we think of what the world has, their image of fairness and advocating for yourself, when we think, what is truly countercultural? I know what countercultural is. Countercultural will be not saying anything. But I think that the scripture points to a proactive response in the face of persecution. Bless. Because that's, the thing that creates peace. We're working through the theme of peace today, and that's the thing that creates peace. How many of us have in this world, in family relationships, in situations with coworkers, in our public life and circumstances, have we ever dealt and created a relationship of peace by throwing and biting back? How many of us have made peace by being ferocious? See, no one got, I didn't get any of those this time. And it's hard. It's hard in situations when you feel like you have been wronged. When I, as a kid, like it sounds like a dumb story to, to walk in and just see these game cubes and be mad about it. But as a kid, like this is this is all I really knew, you know? Like just go to school and but compare what you know your friends have and you have. And I look at that and I think to myself, What would be the Romans 12 way to respond? What would have been the Romans 12 way to respond? Find them a controller? <laughs> no. I think, I, I, mean, I mean, I do. I think it would be, I think it's like it's going the mile. When you've been short-strawed and you see the person in your life, whether they're from work or wherever, that you are actively going to bless that person. And that's not a natural thing for us to do as people. But in work, when you didn't get the raise that you thought you deserved, or in school, when you didn't get the grade you thought you deserved, the person who did worse got better, or in the situations where you come home and they're the GameCube and it's not for you, how do you respond? You find a way to bless the person that's what I think. That's what resonates with me as I read this passage. How can we, instead of responding with bitterness, frustration, and anger, and being overwhelmed, and recognizing that that doesn't make peace, how do we look to that and create peace? I think it's blessing those, blessing those who have seemed to have received more. 
blessing those who, in, especially when we have been short-strawed. Because I think in the end, ultimately, it leads us to be more like Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think we respond this way because it's actually a blessing to us. I think we, we respond to these to these to the, the short straws and the and the being picked last and the, the moments of persecution in our lives because we see it as a blessing, or we should see it as a blessing. Like that's one of the ongoing narratives of the of the Bible, isn't it? Rejoice when we have been persecuted, for you know the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Being last in the kingdom is being first. Something else that came to me as I was just reading through this passage, I was just sort of trying to think of things that were resonating for me, was that this, this, this passage assumes relationship. It assumes relationship with the persecutor. How can you bless someone if you don't know them? How can you rejoice with someone if you haven't the relationship necessary for that person to choose you to rejoice with? How can you live in harmony with a stranger? How can you associate with the lowly without association? And I want to pause today uh, just to briefly talk about persecution. And let me begin just by saying that I can only share my own story. I can only share what affects me. I can't talk about you. I don't know what your experiences have been. I don't know what you have gone through for whatever reason in your life. But when I reflect upon myself, for calling myself a Christian, I have never been persecuted. Now, fairly enough, I do work in a church. But before that, when I, I, mean, I, I had retail jobs. I worked in a restaurant. Never by saying I was a Christian did I ultimately get persecuted for that. Actually, I would say to you, I'd challenge you, I'd say, it was the popular thing. Many people freely would say that they were a believer. Many people would say, yes, I, yeah, you know, I'm a, I have a tattoo. You know, like, I am a believer. I'm a Christian, you know. But when I began to live this way, or if I begin to live the way where I am living proactively as a call to action to create relationships of peace, when I'm actively going to the person who short straws me and I bless them, when I go to my manager who says he's a Christian, who, who, who you know, gives me the basement, which is a term for the worst section in the restaurant to be a server in, a Bible? That's weird. And I'm not saying giving someone a Bible is the only way to bless them. But in this circumstance, it was. Let me rephrase. I have never been persecuted for being a Christian. I only am when I act like one. When I am in a situation where I say I'm a Christian, nothing changes. Nothing changes for me. But when I am at work, when I am in the public sphere, when I'm with friends and I begin to act that way, I begin to, regardless of how I'm treated, try and bless them more, 
And, the, and, when, and when pushing in on me only results in me trying to do more for them, that's not natural and will create hostility. I have not been persecuted for saying I'm a believer. In fact, I've only fit in more. But I have been persecuted when I begin to act as appropriately to the way that Paul talks about here. It's not normal to be proactively humbling yourself. You know, it's not normal to look to those who've hurt us and to bless them. But it's, it's kingdom normal. It's kingdom normal. You know, these, these forms of peacemaking, being proactive, proactively trying to bless the person who is short-strawing us, whether that's in whatever context we find ourselves in, uh, what I've found as I continue to look at this passage is I've, I think I've found, or at least for me, a holistic image of it. Because these things that are repeated again and again and again through this passage are moments of hospitality and generosity. Are they not? When you are facing a moment looking to bless those who curse you and you do what action is appropriate because of the circumstances you find yourself in, are you not extending hospitality and generosity with your time and thoughts? You can't define peace in a vacuum. But this passage, Romans 12, as we walk into it, looks at these as the trifecta. I was at the breakfast yesterday, and I was standing with a parent. You know, I said to him, you know, you three guys at the dish pit, you guys are just killing it. You're the trifecta. And then I paused, and I decided to think of a joke. Yeah, that's what I do. I said, like the Trinity. He put his hand on my shoulder and told me to stick to trifecta. But I think when we look at our passage, there's something that is like that there. I think that we see that there is, when we are actively being peacemakers in the context we find ourselves in, especially when we have been pushed against, that takes hospitality and that takes generosity. It doesn't come by itself. It's not like you can grow in just one and, 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 and not be good at the other. They grow in you together. They grow in you together. It was months later that I walked home again. Walked into the front door, and this time, no video game system. It was silent. You know that feeling when you get home, and there's a bunch of shoes by the front door that you don't, you don't really recognize, and so you're like, oh, this, my parents have guests over, or there's someone else here. It was one of those moments. And typically in those moments, at least for me, my parents would love to have people over for dinner. You know, they had all these people come in. And what I saw was nothing. But what I heard was weeping as I continued to move deeper into the home. It was nighttime. I had just been dropped off by a friend. And I see these shoes. And as I continue to progress into the home, I hear weeping. Something I wasn't aware of during the time of the GameCube incident was that there had been things happening in the health of my uncle. He had, uh, for several months, been in a coma following Christmas. 
And after months of not knowing what exactly was going to happen, he passed away. You know, my, my cousins, like, they were like kids. They were kids. And, you know, as I reflect upon that story, like, and so I walk into my living room, I see my aunt weeping with my mom. I see weeping with each other. I see my cousins who are there just crying. The youngest is so young. He doesn't really understand what's going on. He's just sitting there staring at the wall blankly. Like I'm in this situation. I'm seeing weeping with weeping, and I reflect back, and I think to myself, especially now as I sort of look back to that time, I made a fool of myself. This instance of the GameCube at home was just a silly way that my parents were hoping to be a little bit more loving to a family that clearly was stricken more than I ever would. I didn't get the GameCube. I got a dad. It's a mystery to human life, isn't it? You know, Jesus says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It falls on this person, it falls on that person. We can't really tell. And maybe the thing that's happening to you, maybe it is part of some bigger plan. Maybe it's not. The Bible gives a clear answer on that. But what I will say is this. Scripture is clear. You can respond to that moment. You can respond to it and make blessings out of it for the other. When you have been persecuted, when you have been short-strawed, are we able as believers to trust the parental voice of God that says, this is just the way that we're going to do it this time? And then just try and live the Romans 12 life of blessing those around us. Just trying our best to acknowledge what's going on. That is what we're called to do. That is what we as believers are called to do. Because maybe what you're going through has big impact on someone else. Maybe it does, or maybe it doesn't. But how you respond could be the door that that person comes to know Christ, our Savior, because of it. If anything, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, whether destructive or blessings, can turn into a way for us to look to the other and create possibly a chance for them to know Christ especially by being last in the kingdom. And so we bring ourselves to this last three verses, uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. It says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I always found that this was an odd thing to end this chapter with. I, you know, I, I went to school for, to study the Bible. I took a class on the book of Romans. And I remember the first time I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, like, what is this supposed to mean? Like, this is an odd thing to end with. And so I remember, like, the first time I'm reading it, I was like, okay, Lord, I know what you want from me. This is my motivation. Condemnation! 
ha ha, take these coals. No. <laughs> Surprisingly, I don't believe the same thing now. Honestly, I see it as a warning for us. As we look at this passage in isolation as about peace, but as we look at the whole chapter, I think it's a warning. You living this way, you actively going to those who hurt you and trying to do good on them, you actively being, when pressed down, pushing back with blessing, this will create natural hostility. It won't create an easy time for you, you will put burning coals over their head and they will not like it. Is it tough? Yeah. But it's in times like this I try to remind myself that this follows all that has happened from Romans 1 to 11. We don't do this just because we're, because we're just told to. We're not just doing this because we open our books and we open our Bible and it says, hey, act this way, and we do it. We do this because we, we sit as people of God's mercy. We act as people of God's mercy, and we only are capable of doing it because we know we have this extended mercy. Because I'll tell you the truth. Here's from my experience. When I am trying to act as someone who continuously, again and again and again and again, trying to provide mercy to the other, and I am not relying on God's grace in my life, I crash and burn, and more often than not, I make things worse. I try but I end up botching it. Forest View Church. You are living sacrifices. You are living sacrifices. You have been rescued by God's grace. For the wrath of God was poured onto his son on the cross for you. And you've been rescued by it. Something different has happened and so how can we even entertain the thought of not being something different? So this is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. Okay? I want you to wherever you call regular routine this week, please, please be actively pro your enemy, whoever your enemy is. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was a guy... He was actually a great guy. He's like one of the most uber Christians. Like he was just always loving on me, but he would make jokes. And I remember I was like, this guy's my enemy. He'd make jokes that sort of, I was, the, I was the punchline of these jokes. And I remember I was like, I'm just gonna, like what a silly thing for someone to be your enemy for. You know, like what a silly thing. But I decided I'm gonna pray for him. I'm just going to start praying for him. I'm just going to start praying that God would bless him. I'm just going to start praying that God would do good to him. And I'd see him, and at first, I was like, a little bit too frustrated. You know, I didn't really want to connect with him. But over time, eventually, you push past. And maybe there's someone in your life who is an enemy. And I'll tell you this, maybe you even might feel silly by identifying them as the enemy. But I would encourage you, Pray for them. No matter how silly it is, it's an enemy to you if it's made you think about it. Pray for them. 
pray for their blessing, pray for good to happen to them, actively be in their life, and try and be that annoying bee that can't stop blessing them. You'll heap burning coals in their head, but eventually it'll, it'll be good in the end. I promise. How can I live the same way after what Christ has done? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our family. I thank you for Forestview family. I thank you that you have continued to pour grace upon us. And I pray that, God, we would become people that actively seek to know your story more, that we might become more Romans 12 people. That the more we let Romans 1 through 11 sit in our hearts, the more that we actively, lovingly, purposefully live these lives of blessing the enemies blessing those around us, even if it's just from annoyance to true persecution that we find purposes to bless. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.